How many of you are inspired by mediocrity? Let me see your hands. You know, mediocrity doesn't inspire really any of us. And we want to do that which is excellent, right? We want to do that which is, is good. In fact, one of the things that's always a haunt of us as Seventh-day Adventists is this prophecy that the last day church would be a, a Laodicean, lukewarm church because mediocrity isn't worth much, is it? And we don't like that description. We want to think of ourselves in a hot condition. Or as Pastor Rich Carlson, when he came to visit us in Turkey, and we visited Laodicea, and I described to him how the mountains of Colossia are right there behind Laodicea, and the cold waters would come down the mountain and then come to Laodicea. And then over on the other side is the city of Hierapolis. We see these mentioned actually in the book of, of Colossians. And so you have within about a 10-mile radius these cities of Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossia. And Hierapolis is a place where they had hot baths. And the Romans would go there to bathe in the hot springs. And so the waters of Hierapolis and the cold waters of Colossia met at Laodicea. And then you've got the lukewarm water. And as Rich Carlson thought about this, he said, you know, really, it's not cold water is bad. Sometimes we want cold water, don't we? We use it for hydrotherapy for certain purposes. We use it to drink in, and, and uh, on a hot day, we're glad for cold water. So it's not hot. Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot or cold to be able to do some ministry, to have some function, rather than lukewarm. Well, this sermon is called Trying versus Training. What's the difference between trying and training? We try to do something. We give it our best effort, right? You've heard people say things like, I'm going to try to lose weight this year. Or I'm going to try to get a garden planted. Or I'm going to try to see if I could possibly... What? You hear it. You hear it. We, we do it all the time. We try to, I'm going to try to overcome that habit. I'm going to try to give up smoking, or I'm going to try to visit my neighbors in my area. But there's a big difference between trying and training. What's the, what's the big difference? Well, uh, I looked up, I, wanted to, I thought about this training for a marathon, because you don't hear, one thing you don't hear is people say, I'm going to try to do a marathon. People train for a marathon. I am training. What's the difference there? And so I typed into Google, a marathon train, thinking I would get a picture that I could put up here that would show people sweating, running, exercising, you know, jogging. I wanted that kind of picture. I typed in marathon train, and you know what came up for pictures? This. Now this shows the difference between trying and training. Training is about order. It's about system. It's about discipline. These are charts of weeks of time and what you've got to do in order 16 weeks before a marathon or 20 weeks before a marathon to be ready. So close up, look something like this. Week number one, Monday, you rest. Ah, oh, we all love that. On Monday, you can rest. If I'm training for a marathon this week, start out resting. I like that. <laughs> Tuesday, however, you got to run three miles. Now, that's not, I don't like that Tuesday too well. Wednesday, three miles. Thursday, three miles. Friday, you get a rest. Sabbath, they want you to run six miles. These are miles here. So you notice it works its way all the way up before the marathon. 
three weeks before the marathon, you're running 20 miles. Boy, that is some training, right? And then Sunday is a cross training. You'd think maybe a Sunday worshiper put that on their cross, you know? That's the day for church. No, that means cross training. You get the idea. Well, training takes discipline, right? It means you have to focus on a goal, and you are moving systematically towards that goal, and you have, this was prepared actually by a man named Higgs who has prepared over 500,000 people for marathons, he claims, through his network and his system. He said on that, on that website that in the Chicago Marathon, over 40% of the people who run the Chicago Marathon are running for the very first time. Because people have this vision, they want to be able to complete a, a marathon and they start in on a system of training. It's something that you can't just do by a notion that you get on Friday and say, I'm gonna get up on Sunday and let me get, get out there and do that thing. Because what is it gonna, it's gonna create injury to your, yourself and you might even be dangerous to other people. This is what Merriam-Webster has as a definition for the verb to train. To teach so as to make fit, qualified, or proficient. To form by instruction, discipline, or drill. Do you catch this word form? To form means to take shape or to become, right? It's going to become something it wasn't by instruction, discipline, or drill and to make prepared as by exercise for a test of skill to direct the growth of a plant usually by bending, pruning, or tying and to aim at an object or objective. So this is what we're, we're focused on is what is it in church? What is it as a body of believers that we are training for? What are we to become? What are we being shaped into? Is there some sort of goal, some sort of something that we are to be other than pew sitters? Did God want to form us into something? Who is this person? That is Michael Jordan. That's right. He played for the Chicago Bulls. He was probably one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Michael Jordan was known for really being able to outscore about anybody and on every game. He averaged about 40 points per game. When you think that an average uh, NBA game is about 90 points, he scored about half of the team's points per game. And one of the things Michael Jordan was especially good at was in the last minutes of a game, in the last seconds of a game, if the game was tied, he could, you know, there's like eight seconds left. There's timeout. Bulls have the ball. And who are they going to give the ball to? Michael Jordan, right? Their high score. So all the opposing players knew that the ball is going to this one man. There was no question about it. Nobody else was going to be given that ball. So you have all the opposing team focused to try to defend against Michael Jordan. And he could pull it out where seven, six, five, and he would just pull around, pull a move, and he could put up points. Now, in his interviews, they asked him, how is it that you can so consistently outmaneuver the top players in the world? And he said, it's just simple. I practice. And he says, when I step onto the court, it's not a game. It's simply something that I have done over and over, and it's so easy. That's what he said. It's, it's just so easy. 
because I've done it all before. And he says, I'm just simply carrying out that which I've conditioned myself to do. But of course, the easy part was the game. The hard part was the practice. And training is about practice. I want to, we're, we're not talking about basketball. None of you here are aspiring NBA stars that I believe. But you are aspiring stars, aren't you? Wouldn't you like to be a star? We're called stars of the Most High. In Daniel chapter 12, it says, You will shine like the stars of heaven. Here are those who have won many souls to Christ. That's what a star in God's eyes are, are those who have used their spiritual talent in a way that has somehow influenced other people to know Jesus and to meet Jesus. And Jesus looks at those people with glowing smile on his face and says, you are a star in my kingdom. Well, how are we going to be a star? Are we going to try to be a star? Or is it possible that we could train to be a star? What victories in your life would you like to experience? What would you like to train to become for Christ? Who would you like to be in Christ's army? Who would you like to have him shape you into? Turn to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. We read 1 Timothy for our scripture reading because it says there that he wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of Christ. Well, how is that going to be possible? In 2 Timothy, we come up with the answer. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. I put here 1 Timothy on this, and that was our scripture reading. Now turn to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and read this, verses 1 through 4. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Verse 3, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Paul's last words are, think about what I'm talking about. Now, in these verses, he mentions three different types of people. What, what are they? Soldier. Soldier. Athlete. Athlete. And a farmer. That's right. Good. So uh, let's look at each of these. Here's our soldier. What do we know about a soldier? Does a soldier have training? Yes, he does. In fact, a soldier's training, first they go off to boot camp, right? And that's where they get the boot. The commander really kicks them around, and it gets them into shape. And uh, without training, an army isn't really an army, is it? It's just a collection of people. So that discipline and that training form an army. And of course, here we come up to 4th of July, and we're remembering a time when our nation formed an army together uh, to defeat the British 
And uh, when our nation declared its independence, and George Washington was given this task of taking these ragtag men, collection of men, and turning them into an army. And it was important that they had training. So we have the soldier, and uh, we have the athlete. This picture here of swimmer Michael Phelps. Phelps, of course, one of the top swimmers of all time. Anybody know about his records? 23 gold medals. 23 gold medals. More gold medals than anybody has ever received before. And he has over 60 Olympic medals in total. Amazing man. But do you think he just tried to win the Olympic medals? Do you think that was just a, something that just kind of popped in his head and he said, I'm going to give that my best shot? He had a rigid training schedule, a rigid coach that worked him, and uh, he did uh, amazing things. And then here we have a farmer. Now, farmers don't get much names. There are very few farmers who you could name by name because of their fame, right? And yet, are we all thankful for farmers? Yes. So what do farmers have in similarity to soldiers and athletes? They have to plan. Thank you, Mike. That's exactly right. They have to project themselves towards the harvest. So there is the ground, plot of ground. Now, I have several farmers here amongst my family. And uh, early in March, they were plotting. Even before that, in, in February, they were thinking they had the catalogs out getting the seeds. And they were thinking about getting the little cups started with seeds. Because you could picture something far in the future, which is the harvest, right? And that takes, that takes a lot of planning and discipline. So what's in common with the uh, soldier, the athlete, and the farmer? <coughs> These aspects, we have, oh, they all have patience, so they have the long end view in mind. So when we started in on World War II, we knew this was not going to be a war that was going to be quickly won. It was not like the Six-Day War. We had a knowledge that this is going to take a patient endurance. It takes planning. It takes preparation. And in lifestyle, I want you to think of each of these in light of your spiritual growth and your spiritual aspirations. What is it that you're aspiring for? What is it that you really want to become in this life for Jesus? Patience, planning, preparation, each takes time, discipline, diligence, purposefulness, and an interesting one. Do you think that any of these would wake up early? Yeah, all of them. It's somehow tied in with success is to make use of the day and to rise early so that you can capture the moment when your energies are the highest, your creativity is highest. Have you ever heard of an army where they blow the bugle at 9.30 a.m.? Just doesn't happen, does it? Or a farmer that wakes up late? Doesn't happen. An athlete, you see some of these athletes up before dark, uh, up before dawn, out in the dark, running because they want to get the most out of themselves. What about the Christian? Does the Christian wake up early to get that nugget from the Lord? So, 
Here we are, there is a motivation that stands behind all of these. Now there's two types of motivation. There's the external motivation and the internal motivation. Now the soldier, he is primarily motivated externally. So he is under a long chain of command and is told exactly what he is to do. And so he doesn't rise early because he wants to, he rises early because he has to, right? He doesn't dig the ditch because he wants to, he has to. There's an external motivation and that means that they're gonna pin that medal on him or that he's going to get the, the accolades from his commander. Now the athlete, he has something a little different because he has this internal drive that says, I want a gold medal, I want to perform. But he also has a coach there that spurs him on and that even uh, would challenge him and sometimes verbally uh, spar with him to make him be all that he can be. So the, the athlete has both external and internal motivation. The farmer, is anybody telling the farmer what to do? It's an entirely internal thing that says, I'm going to get those seeds in the ground. I want to see that harvest. And he can visualize it and picture it. Now look at this. Their attitude, the soldier has an attitude of obedience, focused, and he's enduring. The athlete has an attitude of discipline. And the farmer has a hardworking and has an attitude that is basically thrives because of his mental picture of the harvest. Ellen White says this, the world will be convinced not by what the pulpit teaches, but by what the church lives. Sometimes we wonder why our church in North America has been largely static of growth. We've been set at about a million members since the 1970s. Why is that? Holland Church has a very static, flatline growth rate. Why is that? Has Lincoln, Nebraska grown at all in its membership since 1985? Probably not. I uh, wonder, what is it? Is it because we haven't had good preachers? Ellen White says that the world will be changed by the lives of the people. And I really, really hold, as I look at this, that this area of training is something that our global church has let us down on and our local churches have let us down on is becoming somebody in Christ to be able to change the world, to be able to influence and affect, to take those spiritual gifts that the Lord has put into us and make them into something that influences other people. Actually training. Ellen White says, every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Why did we start Sabbath schools, historically, anyway? What is a Sabbath school for? But the Sabbath school was to train people, that's why it's called a school, to train people not just in theological debate, but to train people for the work of God. So one of the things of the work of God is to be knowledgeable about the Bible, and so that became a component of Sabbath school. But it wasn't the purpose of Sabbath school. The purpose of Sabbath school was to train people how to communicate the truth of God's love, how to communicate the gospel to other people. But somehow the training components of God's work got left behind. 
Now, if you could imagine the kingdom of heaven like a big wheel, and there in the middle of that wheel, what, what really is the genius of the wheel is the hub, right? Without the hub, a wheel is just a, a circle that's going to go nowhere, right? It's the hub that connects it to the cart or the car and, and gives it power. So that hub in the Christian life is that gospel. It is that magnificent thing that centers right at the cross and what it is that took place at the cross. And this is what we've got to be trained in, is what is what happened on the cross that we could communicate that, that yeah, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And how do we get in Christ? For Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And then the next verse says, by this he meant the cross of Christ, that he would be lifted up. Well, what if, if we're going to be drawn, where are we to be drawn to? To him on the cross, right? And so at the heart of this training is Jesus, who has given himself for us, that we may have eternal life. There is no judgment upon those who have put themselves in Christ, because the judgment of God came on Jesus, and when we find ourselves in him, the judgment has fallen on him, and he has borne the brunt of that. Hallelujah. It's good news. Well, if there's this wheel, and Jesus is at the, the hub, what are the spokes? There's two uh, vertical spokes. It's called prayer, and it's called the Word of God. We have to be trained in that. Now, this is one thing that I think if any of you do any reading about uh, modern church, we find discipleship is becoming a more and more popular subject. And here's why that people are reflecting more on discipleship. As the church grew up, we were largely working to convert people who were coming out of a Christian background, which means they had been trained in their home how to pray. Their mother and father were Christians, so they knew how to pray. And they probably had a father who read the Bible or a mother who read the Bible, and they probably attended church with their grandmother when they were young. And so the disciple aspects of prayer and the Word of God People knew who David and Goliath were. As my children this last week, I was so proud of them to be able to go to Africa and tell the African people, as I was teaching on discipleship there, uh, how my boys were giving Bible lessons to some Korean children here. And that I would have liked to have given lessons to those Korean children, but I had to go away. And if I go away, I'm leaving you a job. And they, my kids said, no problem, Dad. We got this covered. Amen. Hallelujah. So you see that transfer of discipleship means that we can become capable of the word and prayer and teaching. Well, as they were teaching those Korean kids, they asked them, do you know the story? Have you ever read the story of how Jesus was born? No knowledge. Here's what we're seeing in society is that society is now growing up outside of the boundary of Christianity, not knowing what prayer is, not knowing what the Bible is, and so discipleship is becoming a needed, a necessary commodity to teach people what's the basics of being a Christian. 
What is Jesus all about? Who is Jesus? How does salvation work? What does forgiveness really mean? What is sin? People don't even know what sin is. They're carrying around a bag of guilt, a load on their consciences, and don't even know why. Because they've never been told that they have a creator and that they're accountable to their creator and that they have a conscience and that their conscience is bearing witness to a law and the law says you are condemned. And, and they don't know any of this, right? And Jesus can lift it off them. And so whose duty is it? Is it the pagans' job to teach the other pagans about this? Will they do it? No. The only person who's going to be able to do it is somebody who knows Jesus, who takes time in his word, and who is actually under-trained himself. That's why the book of First and Second Timothy, the books of First and Second Timothy are so special because they are uh, Paul training a young man. And from those books, we can really learn and grow. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Now, I've had another quote alongside of that, but I don't think I can break out of this presentation. It was in my, uh, my notes. Ellen White comments at length on this subject and how churches, uh, when they take seriously this aspect of training their members, they will see growth. Which means more than training seminars. Have you all sat through a lot of training seminars? I have. And training seminars are special. They motivate us. They inspire us. But it's not really the method Jesus gave us. What method did Jesus give us for training? He gave us one-on-one -on -one personal training, right? And experiential training. He was out with his disciples in the villages and lanes, working with healing people, teaching on the mountains, praying with people, and it was in this interaction, the intercourse of daily life, that he trained his men. We don't see anything really about a seminar-style training. Gotential is helping ordinary people uplift Jesus where his story hasn't yet been told. Gotential is training and coaching professionals, doctors, engineers, language teachers, and others for effective and intentional witness wherever their global career leads them. You could easily become one of them. Learn how you can connect at www.gotential.org. Now, let's get back to this exciting presentation by Gotential coach fired parks lesson two remove and replace so the first lesson actually is back here training with assignment this is an acronym you notice the T is underlined there it's an acronym TRG not TRY TRY is try TRG stands for training and the first is if we really want to excel we've got to have assignments we can't just in the theoretically, in the theoretical, we have to go about doing something. Now this last week I wasn't here and I've been running something called Multiply. It's a push for evangelism in our Lincoln area for those who have a hunger to step up, to be on the ladder and moving upward in their usefulness for God's kingdom. And so we're excited that many in the Lincoln area and several from the Holland Church have joined that. 
And so as I headed off to, to Africa, I was delighted to be able to have Jeannie say, well, I'll take over, that's no problem. I will be willing to do that. And heavy on her mind was this idea of a, an assignment, that we don't just come together blindly talking and then return, but that we actually have some task to perform. And so as I understand this last week, you gave people an assignment uh, very general, but that you're to return in two weeks with some story to tell of how you've carried out the work of God. And that's what's really important in training is that there is some assignment. So if I am training a man for doing deadlifts, I don't just say, you're going to need to bend your knees and you're going to need to you know, get it up to your chest. And I don't just talk about that. The actual assignment is this week, you're going to do this many reps, right? We give an assignment. The second lesson is that which is remove and replace. If you're wanting to really grow in your ability to be useful for the Lord, something has got to come out of your life. So if you're going to want to grow in your prayer effectiveness, what's going to... What's now taking the time where you would pray? Or if you're wanting to grow in your ability to witness or have a home group in your house, what's now taking that time that's filling your, that space and you're going to have to remove that thing, whether it be television or reading the news or whether it's getting home late or staying up late or whether it's uh, a structure of your day, what are you going to have to remove and replace? You think Michael Phelps has a, a, a life structure that's centered around swimming? <laughs> yeah, it is. And what's he removed from that? He's not out practicing tennis. He's not out gardening because he's focused on his goal. Well, what is our goal? To become men and women useful for the kingdom of God. And what that ministry looks like, ask Terry Axsmith. For her, that whole thing meant for, for a season of her life, I will focus in on Africa. And I'm going to get an orphanage started there. And she cleared out everything just to focus in on that high goal. And God may give you a different goal. For my mom and dad, uh, for many years, it was focusing in on refugees. And it meant structuring their life just around the service of people who, who couldn't even speak their language. What is it that God will put on your life? I don't know. But... He knows, and if you seek him, he will communicate that to you, and you can remove and replace, then start walking with the angels to find that destiny. And that's where it leads to number three, lesson three, which is guided by the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit then yield themselves in our life. In 1 Timothy, we read these fruits. Look at um, 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and Verse 4, uh, again, verse 3 says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So in verse 4 there, what's the soldier removing? Removing the civilian affairs, right? And then the fruit, the fruit is his commanding officer is pleased with him. Look at verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. 
So what's he removing from his life? An undisciplined, unruly uh, way of playing. And what's the fruit? He gets the victor's crown. And then finally, the farmer, the hardworking farmer, should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And so the hardworking farmer, he removes from his life that which would be unfruitful. And the reward is that he gets to taste that crop. Yesterday, my son brought me a raspberry. And we only had one raspberry that I was aware of. And my son shared it with me. He's like, Dad, taste this. And uh, the joy of being a farmer is to taste those first fruits, isn't it? Amen. Partake of the crop. What's the difference between these two sailboats? Yeah. This has all of the structure to be able to grasp the wind, but it's not grasping the wind. The sails are limp. If you have ever gone sailing, I've had the experience of being an inexperienced sailor and uh, never really had the grand experience of being a uh, top-of-the-line sailor. I just know what it is to get hit in the head with that crossbar, you know? And you're trying to change winds and suddenly that thing comes coming over and you're like, ah! you duck down and sometimes you forget to duck and boy, that thing can really nail you. Well, the difference between being a Christian who is actively engaged in the service of God, you think these people are having more enjoyment from their sailing experience than these people? These people are just sitting there frustrated. This guy's get, got a helmet on because he's afraid of getting whacked, you know. And there is a way that we can keep our sails taut and actually grabbing the wind and moving out in purpose towards the destination. And in our Christian life, we can either be going somewhere or we can be just sitting down Sabbath after Sabbath. We can be sitting down sitters or getting up getters. And the choice is really ours. Jesus trained his disciples. Is that training still available? Yes, it is. He wants us to have it. He wants us to be able to accomplish something in our faith. One of the greatest heroes of Nebraska is this man right here. You know, uh, athletics and the Nebraska Cornhuskers have training not only on the team level, but there is the individual level. Every individual trains, and then they come together as a team, and then they train as a team. And it's both of those married together, individual training with team training that actually creates champions. And good coaching. Of course, Tom Osborne was one of the best. I want to give you a tool today. This Last week in Nigeria, I met a man named Johnny Wong. Johnny is from Australia. He was working at the top levels of Oracle. Have any of you heard of the company called Oracle? They're the ones who do all the computer programming for the airports around the world and other large-scale corporations. And different companies like Boeing would buy into their software, and then they uh, they sell these things. Well, Johnny Wong, the man that I was shared a platform with in Nigeria, he was working over all of Asia's sales for Oracle. Very responsible position. And he stepped down from that position 
to start a church in Australia. And he got this urge because he was leading out in the young adults, and he had 50 young adults. And over a seven year period of time, he saw those young adults fade away to where there were only 12 left in the church. And he realized what we're doing for our young adults, and he, he listed off program after program after program that they had done for them. He says, this isn't training, this is entertaining. And there's a big difference. And he says, we've got to do something about this. And so he quit this high level job to focus his keen brain and intellect on this problem of a local church. He was living in Melbourne, Australia, and uh, he describes it as a university town similar to perhaps Boston. And there they began trying to plant churches among the most secular, high-level, doctorate degree individuals. And uh, you can imagine, that's quite a challenge. Well, this is quite a full story from 2000 until, from 2004 until now. But uh, by God's grace, they now have five churches. They've baptized 300 people. 200 are still in the area. 100 of them have gone out to their home countries because they were students. Some from China, some from Malaysia, some from Thailand. And they come into the study in Melbourne, and then they head back. By God's grace, he's figured out a system of training that not only is their church just pulling people together to worship, but they actually are training men and women how to rightly pray and seek the word of God. The two vertical, the two horizontal spokes are fellowship and witness. Training them how to run fellowship, how to witness to their peers, how to understand the word of God, and how to pray with Christ at the hub. Hallelujah. 200 baptisms. Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony to be able to have here in our Lincoln area in Holland. This website is full of training materials. It's called rightlytrain.org as well as videos. And if you'd like to be trained, I would say that would be a great place to start. As well as right here in Lincoln, we have uh, our Multiply, which has gone through a whole year of training already. And I feel stronger from it. Perhaps you would too. You're welcome to join in uh, the Multiply group and talk to me or uh, some of those who are attending here about that. The Bible talks about each of these phases in life. People going from death to life. And we focus most of our efforts on bringing people from death into salvation. Death into salvation. We want to see people saved. Hallelujah. They're born again. They're born again. But you know, there's other phases in the Bible. From going from being a baby to a child to a young adult to a father that can actually assist and pull people up and to grow, to grow in the Lord and our knowledge and usefulness for the Lord. TRG, train with assignment, removement and place and guided by the Spirit. We're in a race, and in a race, every runner runs to win the race. We haven't just joined this Christian life just because it's a hobby, right? We want to run to win, and if we're going to be winners, it's a relay race. You're going to come to the end of your life and think, who have I left that baton with? By God's grace, there will be many that you have passed the torch 
of the name of Jesus and the hope of Jesus, the hope of salvation, and train them actually to be soul winners. Wouldn't that be a, a great pleasure? Well, I was stuck in Nigeria. I had given my all for these seminars. I had done 11 seminars while I was over there and uh, got to the airport and through some mis mistakes, should I say, of mine as well as the people who brought me there as well as the disaster of an airport that the, uh, the Nigerian capital serves to the people as an airport, I was stuck there. I got to call United Airlines on a long distance call. I'm talking with the man, he says, we can reroute you home, but it's gonna cost you $350. You know what? I had a choice. I could stay in Nigeria, give up my wife, my children, my ministry, my house, and just make a new life there in Nigeria. <laughs> or I could pay $350. What do you think, really? Did that 350 seem like an insurmountable mountain at that moment? Not at all. I was like, here's my credit card number. I was willing to pay the price to go home. And you know, training isn't easy. Training takes effort. And that's why we have to remove and replace something. If training was easy, everybody would be a Michael Jordan. But it's hard. It takes effort. But you know what? The worth of me being able to come home to my wife, be able to come home to my children, be able to come home to my father and my farm, $350 wasn't, wasn't much. And you know, training in God's world isn't about money. It's about willingness. Are you willing? Are you willing to be trained? This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.